Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is the Will Be Movies, Volume 1, the 2000s. Myself and Ben Phillips, who is here right now. Say hello, Ben. Hello. There you go. No more from you. We are talking about 25 of our favourite movies of the decade for Volume 1, the 2000s, 2000 to 2009. If you would like to know how we arrived at this list, the rules, the caveats, why certain films aren't here that probably should be, go listen to Episode 0, which is available on SoundCloud.com slash Mike and Matt, uh, our YouTube page, Enter the Real world.com blah 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 this is episode six it is catch me if you can picked by both of us right but i think slightly more from you but i'm just like oh yeah absolutely we'll put that on the list yeah i think this was this was one of those ones where like, i don't think it was in either of our 20s but it was like i feel this, it should be here something by spillbook should be here mm-hmm. but i think i put ai down as one of them but i think you were just kind of like eh, i don't know if i want to do ai i don't hate ai i don't really the biggest travesty of it is i don't really remember a lot of ai but i don't remember loving it but then there are films that at one point i would have loved that like when we came to do this i'm like oh god don't know anymore minority report i might have heard an argument for <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why i didn't make the argument for minority report because minority part is really good as it well it is um, i don't know why you didn't make the argument for war of the world or indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal Skull, i but... like war of the worlds oh benjamin it's not perfect. No, it isn't. But it is definitely not as bad as Indiana Jones. Sure. It's better than Ready Player One. But that's <laughs> from the next decade. You know what movie I probably should have put put more fight into if we did in next decade? What? The Adventures of Tintin. Yeah, well, you still have time as of this recording to make some arguments. But for now, we must talk about Catch Me If You Can. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Written by Jeff Nathanson, who, boy, does he have an all-over-the-place career. Because you got, you know, that new Lion King movie, which, as you said to me off-air, you know, how much is he really writing here? <laughs> you have Rush Hour 2, but then you also have Rush Hour 3. And you have Speed 2, and you have Tower Heist, and you have the aforementioned Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Sky. I'm going to say he's a bad writer, to be honest, <laughs> because this, this film is based on a book of the same name so maybe he can just adapt stuff well but he's a garbage original person I don't know he, he wrote the terminal as well I wonder whether or not he, he like he wrote, wrote the, he wrote the terminal first or something was that like in a drawer somewhere <laughs> yeah this holy trinity of Spielberg Hanks and uh, Nathanson will just keep on striking in the 2000s so released in our country of the United Kingdom United in air quotes of course January 2003 released in the US December 2002 which means Ben you're going to talk about the year that was 2002 right so let's see the top 10 highest grossing movies of 2002 interestingly number 11 is actually this movie ah, i guess we've got to cut it then if it's not the top 10 <laughs> it's not the top 10 we cut memento for not being in the top 10 obviously we did minority port was number 10 it made about <laughs> six million dollars more than this movie the success story of the year in 2002 uh my big fat greek wedding wow do you want do you know how much my big fat greek wedding opened to I don't know. I don't know how much anything opens to anymore. My Big Fat Greek Wedding opened to $597,362 in its opening weekend. It ranked 20th in the first week it came out. Wow, movies make more money now. (laughs) Yes, but then then the movie had... It ran for a full year. (laughs) What? Yeah, it ran... It opened April 19th in 2002, made about half a million dollars. By the time we get to August, it's making about $14 million per weekend. What the fuck? <laughs> Who let this stay in the theatres for like almost because it a just year? Because it just kept on making money. It is like... But like the... moderate amounts of money, but forever. So in the end, it ended up being the ninth highest grossing movie of the year, despite opening fairly inauspiciously. There was a reason they made a sequel to this movie. Wow, wow. Welcome to our My Big Fat Greek Wedding podcast. <laughs> number eight is Ice Age. Number seven is Signs. 
Guns. Mm. Number six is Die Another Day. Oh, no. Number five is Men in Black 2. Mm. Number four is Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Mm. Number three is Spider-Man. Yeah! Number two is the longest Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Mm. That's a two-hour and 40-minute-long movie. Oof. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, and then the highest-grossing movie of 2002, uh, we have Lord of the Rings, The Never Two Towers. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Never going to discuss it, ever. So that's that's financials. Why don't we talk criticals? Criticals. So uh, we'll do Oscars first, because Oscars tend to be more wrong than <laughs> everything. <laughs> everything else. That year's Oscars, they nominated uh, The Pianist, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, The Hours, Gangs of New York, The Other... Leonardo DiCaprio joint from 2002. Well, we'll have some stories about that in a second. <laughs> and Chi Town, Chicago, the winner of the year. Oh, of course. This is also, I think this is the year where John C. Riley is in three of the Best Picture nominees. Yeah, he just did everything, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Both Talladega and Boogie Nights. <laughs> and uh, the actual critical acclaimed list of what was good to watch in 2002. City of God from Brazil, Russian oh, art. of course. Talk to her, Punch Drunk Love, the Paul mm. Thomas Anderson movie. That was close to this list. <laughs> it was very close to this list. Far From Heaven, a Todd Haynes movie, Blissfully Yours, The Sun, Distant, and a little movie we might be discussing soon adaptation hmm. we'll see we'll see <laughs> so if you are done with 2002 i am then this movie is 141 minutes long which i think i think it's a touch long i didn't get bored but i think it could have been a bit shorter by maybe 10 minutes maybe 20 i don't know i think it's got it's got the thing where like it ends a few times yeah there you go they made it for 52 million dollars and they made 352 million dollars back so a modest budget and it did quite well it made 30 million dollars on its opening weekend in the u.s so i mean oh but then again it's also opening up behind the specter of the two towers so (laughs) i don't know why they'd be scared of that it's just like it's this came out in christmas in the u.s yeah and so obviously like for three years kind of like lord of the rings was just utterly dominating that kind of time period i mean uh, he really did line it up to release three of those in three years didn't he he really did so three christmases they got each one of them i mean in the uk it comes out kind of like tail end of january January. Yeah, 31st, and, I believe. Yeah, it's the 31st of January. And, I mean, like, its competition is nothing, really. Eight Miles opened up in the UK. Chicago's opened up. Lord of the Rings has been out for a few weeks. Gangs of New York's been out for a few weeks. So Catch Me If You Can gets to come in and be number one. Whereas in the US, they open it in the period where, like, Lord of the Rings' domination is just kind of sweeping through. Yeah. So, Frank Abagnale, not Abagnale, Jr., sold the film rights to his autobiography of the same name in 1980. It bounced around just every studio, every producer, and 20 years later it arrives at DreamWorks. David Fincher dropped out to make Panic Room and <laughs> was replaced by Gore Verbinski, who cast James Gandolfini, rest in peace, as Agent Hanratty, Ed Harris as Frank Sr., and Chloe Sevigny as Brenda. But then when Leo as you said, uh, you know, Gangs of New York. He had to do more filming with that, so Gore dropped out because he was like, I'm not waiting. He lost his actors as well, you know, when he went, they went. Various names were considered to direct, including Cameron Crowe, shout out, episode two, almost famous. But then Spielberg ultimately stepped in to direct it himself instead of just producing it. He brought in Tom Hanks, his best friend in the whole wide world, for their fourth collaboration and he cast those new people. Abagnale was not present for filming apart from his cameo. He did not read the script, he did not meet Steven Spielberg, 
Spielberg ahead of filming. I'm sure he has met him in the time since. There are obviously certain embellishments here. I think he said he never spoke to his father or saw him after he ran out. Carl Hanra, he was not a real person. He's loosely based on Joseph Shea and just little things like that. Apparently he did ask that, so I guess at some point a version of the film made its way to him. He asked that they like update a few little things in regards to like the cons and that kind of thing. But I like that his complaints are like nothing to do with like the emotional luck of the movie. It's just like, just make sure you make the stuff I do seem cool. <laughs> well, yeah, he did have that concern. He wasn't sure Leo was suave enough to play him. He said that like the stuff they added with the father is like, I think he called it like a fulfillment of a fantasy. He dreamt of something like that and like he would go home alone and cry and think of his parents and stuff. So like, I think he was grateful they put something like that in there. But yeah, like I think they, they do a good job to flesh this out and make it a more human story and like focusing on like the stuff with his parents and the stuff, you know, the, the friendly rivalry or the, you know, frenemy type deal with Hanratty. But the first act, I've kind of gone with, you know, the three big jobs he has as the three acts of the movie. So we open with these like amazing uh, animated titles that The Simpsons copied wonderfully and so many small details in these. They are fantastic. I love when something like this comes along for like re no real reason. It doesn't really tonally fit with anything else in the movie but they're just really cool. It, it totally fits with the music that mm -hmm. John Williams is doing for the score which I think really is really nice. But also it, it's one of those nice ones where like it kind of shows you the whole plot the movie in yeah. like abstract I rewatched them after I finished it and it's like oh yeah it's all right there isn't it so you know we we start with this game show which you can you can apparently watch this on YouTube this is a real thing where it's like uh, here are three men all claiming to be this person can you guess who it is and apparently none of them guessed who the real Frank was in real life but they've recreated this they've applied like old-timey film grain to it to make it look like garbage old TV and stuff I mean they shot they shot in like four three and everything like that, so <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. and you transition from there to the like not real footage but you know the way the, the rest of the movie looks and you, you have that little cut between there and the present day in France and all that and I'm just gonna say like I really don't think that the I mean obviously you know that they catch him so it's not like spoiling anything to have him caught at the beginning but I really don't think any of the stuff with the sort of flash forwards or the flash to the present types the scenes with like a in custody Frank and Han Ratty trying to get him home I don't think it's effective enough or often enough to really be justified and I kind of wish they just started with him you know when we go to the flashback with his family and stuff and went all the way forward and then after he's been captured then the stuff on the plane that's all good and him going to the house at the end like that's all cool but just this opening didn't really do anything wonderful for me and it, it sort of I, I don't know maybe you disagree but I I, 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 I I do I see where you're coming from I think there's two things that it does really well is you get this first brief glimpse into the extent to which he will try and get away like you get that like sure. bit where like he fakes being ill or not fakes being ill but fakes being more ill than he actually is and you get that Ill. you get that like one shot where like the doctors go and wash their hands after they put him on the bed and like he's in gone. that time you know that he's had to leave the frame to capture himself and run out of there yeah. which is really really nice and then you get that scene of like, all the French prisoners kind of like clapping him and cheering him and stuff like that because oh and he's clearly not going to get away as he's crawling down the corridor yeah no exactly but it does, I... it does that which is 
like it reinforces the extent to which you'll get away which i, th- I, mean, I think like, that's a decent enough moment and maybe i would be fine with starting with this and then meeting back up with it at the end but there's like i don't know two three maybe four of these little scenes yeah i think they think they needed more but the other the other thing i think it achieves is in the scene the first time that hanks catches up to to him in the in the hotel in miami it kind of because you know that that's not where he gets caught yeah it kind of lends that scene a little bit of like oh how how is he gonna get how out the hell of this? did he get away with yeah when he, yeah that's like, true it, it kind of, it kind of does like reverse like mm. your expectations are like well he has to get away i wonder how he does get away because mm. he's got a gun on him and this is true <laughs> this is back to rights I, I again i do think there should be more i, I think th- they could have done some more effective stuff i'm not maybe, saying maybe they needed be- to lose them all together i just feel they weren't fully realised to the point yeah. that they almost feel like they're wasting your time a tiny bit but I, I get that like, there is some good stuff there. Yeah, it's almost like they needed to have like the whole sequence with him in France but even then like you don't get the little fun little reveal at the end of like uh, one of Tom Hanks' assistants kind of like going like Montrachard and... Yeah, but then again I also think that like what you say is true that like you know he's going to get away from that hotel but how the hell does he do it? It also tells you that he ends up in France by the end of it and like I feel not knowing that might have been good. Not Knowing he will 100% slip past everyone at the end, it's like, eh, I don't know, I'm in two months. You know, you start off with him, so the great thing they do, like, Leo has been famous forever, so, like, to us, he kind of, like, it's strange to see him trying to play someone young, but, like, he was known for looking so young, despite being older, and then, like, you know, the reverse is true of the character, where it's a character who, or the the real guy, who, as as a teenager, was passable as an adult, so they've kind of inverted it a bit, where they've got, like, a 28 year old Leo reasonably well playing like a I don't know if he can pass for 16 but you know 17 18 19 yeah I think I think he I think he does do like being a teenager really well he does like like he's got that kind of like petulant attitude to himself down yeah yeah totally and he feels younger than he did in Titanic yes for this being five years after Titanic came out and like being the star of the biggest movie that's ever been made I don't think anything he did after Titanic was like big really not like, like that, not no. not until like this and Gangs of New York actually made some money. What, so so after Titanic, he does the Man in the Iron Mask. He does Celebrity with Woody Helen, and he does The <laughs> Beach. None of which are like burn the house down movies and stuff like that. Especially after Titanic. Titanic. So it's no. kind of like this and Gangs of New York come like the one-two punch of like almost modern DiCaprio and like. But it feels like they definitely play. I feel like it's after this that he starts to not want to look young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair so you know you get the stuff with him just as a innocent quote unquote kid and like you get these hints that his father like they never fully spell it out but his father might also be like a worse con man like he learns that trick with the necklace from his father and like you know he has his son pose as a chauffeur and he's turned down for a loan and they have to make you know it. they never fully say it but I think the way it's presented it's like he's like a worse version of what Frank Jr. ends up being and it's almost like the narrative you can trace is Frank like looks up to his father and, and like emulates him but it's just better at it and he like becomes a more successful version of what his father was trying to do now in real life his dad was nothing like this and apparently like <laughs> he was his first victim because he like stole his credit card and bought a fuck ton of stuff but you got Christopher Walken playing Frank Senior here and like it's like an understated performance like he's not trying to steal scenes or like, be, Chris like, Walken's acting like a real human in yeah this. and it's a bit disturbing in some ways it's like, hey, you're the guy that is just 
the weirdest dude alive. I think this is before that, or I mean, yeah, when, I when does when does Walken do cowbell? <laughs> oh God! Uh, well, Will Ferrell as a regular cast member. I don't know. God, he's got Kangaroo Jack the next year. Yeesh. And the wedding crashes obviously after this. Oh yeah. I feel that was some of it because Bradley Cooper told so many stories about him on set, and it all became sort of urban legend about. Yeah, he did. He did more cowbell in 2000. So this is post cowbell. There you go then. But he's still acting like a normal human. So he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this, right? Yes, he was. Yes. I wouldn't say he's like blowing me away with this performance. There's some good stuff later on when they like meet up throughout the years. I would say this movie doesn't really get going for me until Frank successfully poses as the French teacher. The stuff with them like dancing around at Christmas and all that, it's it's nice, whatever. And like it takes on a deeper meaning later. But I found it a little bit plodding up until like, ah, here he goes. And you know, when he like writes his name on the board and like successfully commands the class and like turns the tables on that kid that's bullying him that's when I was like ah oh, this is fucking cool I mean yeah I think I think this movie the, the biggest strength of this movie is Leonardo DiCaprio having the confidence to do what he needs to do yeah. in all these cases and I think the movie is at its strongest when it's DiCaprio playing off Hanks yeah um, for sure but I do think that like the two other great supporting performances in this movie are suitably great and I just think that Walken is kind of you don't ever know what's going on inside his head yeah he is that's, that's a good way to say it you can't really quite read his intentions or or well, yeah. how much how much he knows about what's going on yeah like, do, he's do, not do you think he believes his son? how he feels yeah it, exactly like does he he's either not actually that impressed or he like sees through it and he's like I know you're full of shit like he write to to like receive letters in the span of less than three years that like oh I'm a pilot oh I've decided to be a doctor oh I'm a lawyer it's like well no you're not Sorry, but... The theme that I think of is is that one in the... When he meets him at the restaurant, he tries to give him the, the car. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene where he does the little mini breakdown, doesn't he? Because he's talking about his relationship to his wife. Yeah, and he's almost like... He almost like ignores all of the stuff that Frank Jr. is talking about. He's like... Well, I don't know. I sort of read it as he's not really that bothered and he's more thinking... You know, he's more like trying to talk about the stuff with the wife. But then like he does, in the middle of it, sort of remember himself. He's like, oh, my son, my son, the car. And every, I don't know. Yeah, but then, but the, the, the thing that, the thing that he is impressed by is the fact that because his son is wearing the pilot's uniform, yeah, everyone's looking at him. Yeah. Everyone's looking at him. Yeah. Which which is that thing where it's like it's it's not so much about what he says he's doing; it's the fact that he's being successful at getting people to pay attention to him. Yeah. yeah which I, I don't know, I think I think that because it's so understated, because you can't get inside his head, I think it's, mm. it balances that tightrope of, because it could be kind of like shitty con man dad, he's not as good as his son, yeah. or it could be like looking for daddy's approval for the entire movie, but I think because Christopher Walken kind of like nails all these little interactions that they have across the movie, it is really good. Yeah, I really like him just sort of, when the principal calls them in, he's like, you know, your son had a PTA conference and was planning a field trip, and they just don't know what to make of it and the mother is like you know she doesn't really tell him off but she's a bit more like uh. and then he just is walking just like smirks at him it's like what do I say to this like fucking well done you get this sort of it's not confusing like you know what's going on but it's a bit of a I don't know a strange little section where you know Frank catches his mother like having the affair with one of Frank Senior's friends and which I think is a fantastic scene yeah it's all done in the one shot 
and all three of them are kind of there and then just the way that DiCaprio is like nothing is overtly stated it's all done by like body language and how people react like the mother kind of gets a bit more manic she starts like she's such trying to bribe him isn't she (laughs) yeah she gives him like the ten dollars she tries to make him food she's like doing all these things and meanwhile you just have DiCaprio with the most petulant thousand yard stare in the front of the frame just kind of like looking out ahead and not wanting to engage with this whatsoever and it's those kind of moments that I think DiCaprio is really good like he's I, I just I remember all the trailers for this like selling it on it being like a fun sexy caper and then I remember actually watching it for the first time and like it's like 20 minutes of like slow emotional depressing stuff I'm like oh god this isn't but I mean obviously you need that to make but this this all... movie the whole undercurrent of this movie is it's kind of sad yeah. It's the whole point. It's like, yes, they are being fun and capery and he gets to drive around in the James Bond car for five minutes. But at the end of the day... <laughs> yeah, and I understand you're not going to market your your movie where you've got sexy con stuff happening by like showing the extended emotional scenes with the family. Like, I get how marketing works. It's just, yeah. I remember the kind of tonal whiplash when I first finally watched it a few years ago. And I was like, but I think it oh, kind wow. of like, it, it <laughs> makes the fun stuff kind of like hit home more yeah, because it's kind of like, it makes you realise just how empty all of it is he is doing it not because it's fun or because he is having fun like I'm sure he is having fun but it's more because like I just want to make dad happy I want to make dad proud of me I want to do this the two divorce and he is asked who is going to get custody of you and instead he just runs away (laughs) and I do have a question of where the fuck is he staying because you see him repeatedly attempt to do these little tiny cons that don't work and he tries the necklace trick at least once maybe twice and it doesn't really go down and like he's kicked out of one place and it's like how are you affording to stay like anywhere but you know because he's, he's right he's writing checks and obviously that was back in the time where like oh yeah of course because his father gave him the checkbook and, yeah you write you write a check and it takes like a week for it to get to the place where it needs to go to and then they send God, it back to why you why does anyone back. ever trust checks like how have we how did we ever set up a society where it's like oh i'll pay you later <laughs> bye there's a scene where there is a lady at a desk who when i was re-watching it, i was like is that fucking lena dunham and it's not but she is a dead ringer so, you know, as we mentioned, like, when he starts impersonating the pilot, like, that's the one that they sort of heavily put, like, I think it's the one he's most known for, because the uniform he's wearing in the little uh, game show thing, and, like, on the front cover, I think he's wearing it, all this. So he, he sees a group of pilots and asks... It's also, like, and... that's when we got famous, wasn't it? Or, like, it, 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 the vast majority of his money came from being a pilot. Yeah. And it's the one where, like, he was in the press for being, like... The Skyway Man. Exactly. Like, I think it's it, because that... Because like the legend is all about that one, and it's kind of like less sexy that <laughs> he impersonates a doctor. Oh, that or... one's uncomfortable. We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so you know he he is taken by this, and he interviews like an official from Pan Am. He's like pretending to be writing an article about it for school, and he's like, you know, can I make a copy of this license? And using it all to learn how to pose as a pilot. I love how granular mm. this first section of the movie is. Oh yeah, because like every single step of his con, you find out like who he spoke to, how he charmed them, exactly. what information they gave him, Peeling why they were... the was... sticker off the airplane in the bath and then sticking it to a check and, oh, so good. And do you know what I really like about this? It rings as strange now and almost funny, but, like, this really romantic vision of pilots, you know? as like, kids stopping him in the street and, like, asking a pilot for an autograph and, like, oh, you're a pilot. And, like, you know, it's still a cool job. This is, like, just when commercial flights are taking off, so, yeah. like, it's become a new job. Previously, it was like if you were rich, you could do it. I, but now, I guess that's 
admit that it's this new job and, and air travel like, is still a novelty, but like it's become a slightly more affordable one. And, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's when you start getting like the flight attendants and the whole like virgin, they're all going to wear red and look sexy. And yeah. But yeah, and I, then, I just really like that. That like I don't know, it's like a bygone era. And yeah. like you said, like he's drawn to these jobs where it garners respect from society because I mean, pilot, doctor, lawyer, and like obviously lawyers have a less good reputation than those other ones and doctors reputations have probably declined over time but it is still sort of a, a job that when someone has it other people are like ah that's very respectable how do you feel about the very obvious song that they use that's eh, fine why not I, I, it's one of those things where i'm just like is it because like every single piece of soundtrack media that features pilots will probably at some point use come fly with me by frank sinatra mm. and this is like is this one of the early ones or even at that point when this movie came out is it overplayed to be put to put come fly with me <laughs> probably i think it was overplayed quite a while ago we mentioned their stewardesses one of them here is ellen pompeo of Grey's anatomy fame and also the movie daredevil unlucky and his little necklace trick finally what is her is it her that it works on or is it another one i can't remember. yeah he does it he does it to her on the plane and then you get the banging on the um no no yes 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 and it's like all right you've done very well by like forging your checks but it's when he actually is in that cockpit and he's dropping all the lingo and well it's not even like the lingo but he's talking about like jumping puddles and stuff and it's like oh okay yeah you can make this work because you're like up until he's on the plane you're like okay but at some point you're gonna have to be on a plane and they're gonna very quickly realize you don't know shit but it's like no fair enough you're gonna do this the one thing i'm glad they don't do is he never actually flies a plane yes he's always he's always just um deadheading and like co-piloting and all this shit because the thing is like i feel like i mean obviously it's based on real life but like i feel like you if you wanted to make it glamorous you'd have the scene where like he pays so much attention to how the pilot is working the switchboard by osmosis learns how to fly a plane yeah yeah exactly and Which, it'd be like, you know no. I mean, he suggests later yeah so he you know he starts off just doing this but then he really ups his game when he meets this bank teller played by elizabeth banks just so many up-and-coming actresses in this movie and some established actresses uh in just like these tiny roles you know learning how to you know he charms her and like her little ugly laugh when she's flirting with her is so so good and just this bit where you know she teaches him basically how checks work and like how if you change the routing numbers then it takes longer for banks to realize that checks have bounced blah 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 and that's when we move into what i feel is act two of the movie when we introduce i mean we've met him already at the beginning but you know in the in the past narrative when we introduce agent carl hanrat he played by tom hanks who has caught wind of what he's doing and he's briefing his fbi colleagues about it who seem pretty like dismissive and ignorant to exactly how big this is that this guy is doing it i mean you know they're chasing fraudulent people all the time so they can't like completely not care but it does seem a little bit like why is no one concerned that this guy's doing this <laughs> like i mean to be fair the check routing thing is a tiny bit confusing in the way they explain it but i think i like the fact that no one wants to be in that department because you get the scene in the car yeah. where like both of his colleagues who he's lumped with are just like i'm being punished because i did this stupid thing or yeah. i've never i've never been in the field before and stuff like that and yeah. handrafty is like the only one it's just a dog he just wants to you know he's gonna stay on people and hunt them down like relentlessly and it isn't glamorous and like i think it i think it's really cool like you aren't like taught to dislike this tom hanks character like even when he's being a little bit of a you know stick in the mud at times but you know then you get the stuff with him like oh do you want to hear one of my jokes and it's like the punchline is like fuck you or whatever or <laughs> it's like okay it's, it's so it's so good it's the knock knock who's there 
fuck you. And the, and the fact that they, they repeat it, like, with his senior. Yeah, <laughs> of like, Do you want to hear that's, a joke? That's fucking bold. Like, I don't know how that <laughs> didn't go badly for him, but they're tracing the checks, and... Like you say, like, if you don't have that scene at the beginning where you know when he actually caught him or where he caught him or whatever, it's a bit surprising. It's like, oh, they're going to cross paths this soon. He just quite quickly finds the hotel. You know, they go to one of the hotels where he's, he's used one of these checks. And he's like, wait, you mean he's still here? And it's like, oh, shit. I guess they're going to narrowly miss each other. But no, this scene where he fucking walks into the room and you know that Leo is still there. And it's like, well, how the fuck is he? Get-? And, you know, posing as Secret Service agent Barry Allen, managing to turn the situation back around on him and like this general thing of him being a quick study where like you know Hanratty challenges him for credentials and then he does it back to him like a minute later and it's like it really helps sell the idea that like he is who he says he is and he just conducts himself with that con- he doesn't panic and the the stuff with like the elderly man being helped into the car that he like turns against and oh it's just so good and yeah like it, it's the little things where like he gives him his credential like not his credentials but he gives, he gives him, his, him wallet. his whole wallet and he tells him he can hold on to it He's overstuffed it so it's hard to open it and he knows that he's got the gun so he's not going to be able to do anything like that and it's just this like bold confidence man stuff where like he just assumes that by acting the way that he needs to do everything's going to be okay because like any one of these like little things could crumble and yeah. it could like he could open it and find all the like the wrappers on the front in the inside the wallet or yeah. his call out to the to his friend to take the, the, the man out to the car and at any point it could have just completely fallen apart for yeah, him yeah because he like he, he does like the bold stuff of like saying like call the LAPD and you don't like <laughs> you don't see you don't see the reaction of the guy going like what <laughs> I also like though because you know he does this trick he's peeled all the labels off the stuff in the room and like put them into the into the wallet and this will come back later and it's like because obviously Hanratty is like humiliated here and it's like oh you fucking idiot you just sort of let this guy walk away but he does learn from him and like get better at finding him and all this sort of stuff so it's like it's not entirely a vehicle to embarrass Tom Hanks his character here. So Frank, you know, continues to interview the Pan Am man, he sees this the newspaper article about the Skyway man, and he gets he gets really high on his own fame, you know like But the thing is, I, he, he doesn't get complacent though. No. Because the thing is, like, he's still going back to this guy. He's still bold-facedly, like, walking back into the Pan Am offices and yeah. talking to this guy I love, again. I love that this guy is reading an article about a con man while, like, giving a suspicious amount of information to a kid without even questioning it. And, you know, there's stuff with him, like, getting the Aston Martin and the suit and everything that's all really fun. We have Jennifer Garner as a call girl here and conning her as well, like getting her to take a check that isn't worth anything and then getting change as well and his little mini catchphrase of that works even better and it's him just adjusting his stuff on the fly and So it, what, what, do, what do you think about that scene? It's a bit strange to me like, like, what do you think about her? What do you think like her deal is? I don't know, like, because I mean she was like a, like a model at one point, or she, I don't know if she still is, but she was someone of some vague level of fame and you get the impression that her star has faded a bit and I don't know maybe she can identify people who I don't know it's not like she's preying on him but I think I think they're both con people yeah kind of because she doesn't initiate that entire thing up front being like oh I'm a call girl like it is at first it seems he is just charming this random woman and then the notion of having to pay for it comes up 
up and everything and it's like it's a strange one but and like you also do get this thing of like I don't know if he's a virgin but he's certainly younger than he's pretending to be and in moments like this you do see these hints of sort of vulnerability or, or being scared almost I mean I think I think the implication is that Ellen Pompeo is the first person he had sex with sure oh of course sorry yeah. then this scene I think it's like he meets like his mirror image she is yeah. the same as him as like someone who is pretending to be older than they are and mm. this is how I think adults work in the world Sure. And I'm going to take advantage of this person because they're young and naive. But at the end of the scene, obviously, he gets the one up because he gets paid $400 for her time, whereas she <laughs> manages to talk him up to paying for her services to $1,000. So she thinks she's walking away with a steal. And I think I spent the entire thing being like, oh, that's Jennifer Garner. What's, why is Jennifer Garner? Oh, okay. And like, I think Spielberg was like really desperate to get her in the film anywhere, and he didn't have a lot of time with her, so... You know, they gave her this small role, but just I spent the whole thing like, ah, this is a strange. I mean, she would have been doing Alias at this point, wouldn't she? Yeah, I think I think he was a fan of Alias, and she was like committed to it and all that. So, and you know, you get the conversely, Hanratty is such a mess he can't even do laundry. Oh no! I do like that scene. <laughs> I'm just I'm just him holding up this tiny little red thing, and this old woman just kind of turning around, just taking it, and it not even apologising. Yeah, exactly. New York man, or wherever they're gonna be. Is this when we get the first call at Christmas? Yes. He's trying to apologise to him. He's like, oh, come get me. I'm at this hotel in this room. And then, you know, Hanratty calls his bluff. But he is actually in that room, we see, when he next leaves it. And it's like... And Hanratty mocks... You know, he turns it around and he laughs at him. He's like, I'm the only person you have to talk to on Christmas Eve. Like, you're pathetic or whatever. And it's like, this is where you get this weird duality. And, like, obviously Leo doesn't want to be caught. But, like, he was truthfully telling him where he was. And it's like, I don't know if he would have... Well, towards the end, you get this notion of you only run because you're being chased or whatever. And it's like, he probably would have attempted to flee if Hanks had come from but you do get this notion of like the serial killer that wants to be caught the the con man that wants to be famous and, and found out about and all this and you know does he want Hanratty to come and get him and it's like it is a very interesting because we know from the beginning scene that they end up more amicable than they are at the beginning here because he's like concerned for his health and he's like oh we're gonna get you home don't worry and all that sort of stuff so it's sort Cause of because he's, he's not he's, has he, he's only just found out he's a kid at this point hasn't he or well he this is around that? the time when he learns that this Barry Allen alias is the flash and he's like oh that's why we can't find fingerprints because he's underage and then he's like you know let's go looking for juvenile runaways in new york because he'd mentioned the yankee and i was like well that's a little bit tenuous they're the most famous team in the country but whatever and you know he interviews his mother and finds out his real name and i really like when she offers to she's like oh i can pay it back how much is it and he's like 1.3 million dollars it's like and this is 1.3 million dollars back in the 60s or is it the 60s what, yeah let's have a look so let's see if like, inflation rates inflation yeah like, this is a lot of money though <laughs> so let's go 1965 because it's about midway point that would be about 11 million dollars there you go and she was just getting her checkbook out to try and pay this back I and mean, that's a really good beat but yeah this it is a very interesting scene, you know, calling him on Christmas Eve. And it also helps to sort of timeline the movie because we get two or three of the... I guess yeah, you, the third start, one start, is the beginning of the movie. Up. They start to speed up mm. as, like, you go through. So, like, there's a long, long gap between him running away from home and then this first Christmas because it's kind of, like, six months almost that he's kind of, like, doing all this stuff. And then the next one happens so much quicker. But I do really love that, like, this is when they start to kind of, like, drill home the fact that, like, they're not that different because you get, like, Frank being alone in the hotel room calling and up. Right, and he's, like, got the wedding 
wedding ring, but he says he doesn't have a family. And, and he's in the, he's in the empty FBI bureau, and he says, "Oh, I let people go early." But then you look around and go, "Like no one's left early. You're just in work." Or doesn't he say, "Like I'm here. The ones that have families got to go home, and like someone has to be here." So you know, I don't know something to that. The thing is, but even, but even then, he probably doesn't have to be there. Yeah, probably not. Like he's just he's just sat there like going through all case files, and like all the desks are like put away, and the yeah. windows are closed, and it's just like it's so two lonely cold. men chasing each other. So you know, Frank is living in this like fancy house and like really zoned out here like does his friend like injure himself at his I, don't, I don't think it's particularly clear like woman walks in who is drunk slash high and just says like something happened Person maybe it's maybe it's like it, it's like the golden god scene in almost famous someone jumps <laughs> the pool from the roof but yeah he ends up at a hospital and he gleans information from brenda strong i think her name is played by amy adams who is the person that they spent the most time trying to cast they really want to get it right and amy adams fucking crushed it because amy adams is fucking excellent she is a nurse i guess this is what americans call a candy striper I, maybe that's an outdated term these days but yeah so he sort of learns about how patient files work and he is like right i'll be a doctor and he's like studying medical shows to get the jargon and he forges the sort of the medical degree and there's a real i, I don't know if it's this one or the law one but he has some kind of certificate that has the signatures of like the head of harvard and someone else and like I, these are the real ones apparently i think they did them for the film for them as a favor or whatever um but you know he this is probably the most unbelievable one to me i can see the pilot one working but him basically conning his way into becoming like a chief of staff like a like a dr kelso from scrubs where he's like thing is, running the, the ward but not having to do any actual doctoring and at the end of the day like who in the 1960s is gonna go ah yes someone has faked a diploma true like if someone walks in there with a diploma that says harvard with signatures that look realistic <laughs> you're not really gonna doubt it back yeah. then like nowadays you maybe go like I know you can use Photoshop. Exactly. Like I said, this is probably the this is the most uncomfortable of these three because I mean he deliberately engineers it in a way where he never actually has to do any doctoring and he's just managing everyone else and like you know question talking everyone or whatever. But like, do you concur? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should have said I concurred. And apparently this is real. Like the the real Frank Abagnale. Like there was a night where he was asked to help with a baby that had stopped breathing and like after that he was like I shouldn't do this anymore and in this it's a more innocent slightly more innocent thing with like a kid that's hurt themselves and like he's squeamish about the blood and he goes and like throws up afterwards and the thing is what I like about what I like about this is like the only reason he goes to be a doctor is because he kind of falls in love with Brenda like yeah. first sight you it's assume like... that he's just either gonna con her or he's just using her for his con but it's like by the end of it it's like no I think he really did love this lady like... and, it, and it's weird because like is the reason why he loves her because they bonded over braces or because mm. this is the kind of girl who he missed out on like because everyone else is kind of like this high status confident confident woman that he kind of meets in these places and is able to charm whereas this is this naive insecure mm. girl who likes him sincerely <laughs> yeah exa- exactly like it's not like oh he's a pilot he's hot he walks into this room and she kind of like is made happier by him being there and I think he kind of like misses that kind of like real connection where he's not pretending to be something but then he immediately goes into and I'm a doctor as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's like almost like autopilot like, like he's yeah, just he adapting to his situation all the time he can't function unless he is someone of high status indeed so he tells Brenda he's going to propose to her they travel down to New Orleans to meet her parents he claims he wants to go back into law and it's like come the fuck on man like um, and you know he ends up charming her father who's played by Martin Sheen and like you know it's not just the actresses who are getting these tiny roles like Martin Sheen having what a page of dialogue maybe <laughs> the thing is he also gets the really cool bit of like he might be the one 
who breaks through. Yeah, like, he basically confesses everything to him, and he's, like, not bothered by it. Or is it more that, like, he's being honest, but it comes across differently, and it just helps him because he's telling the truth, because it feels sincere? I don't know, like... But we also get the wonderful bit where, like, he goes, like, oh, I had this teacher that you knew from from law school. He goes, oh, how's the dog? And he's like, uh, the dog died. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you see this kind of thing all the time, where, like, you see, like, person trying to catch them out, and, like, oh, they've they've done their homework so they didn't trip over that lie and it's like you feel something's gonna happen here and it's like does he just know in that moment that he's bullshitting him or does he get away with it like it's not entirely clear if brenda's father is like i know where you are i like that it kind of implies like how flimsy they are like because if if martin sheen were to get in contact with someone from his university whatever like he probably could find out that this guy's bullshitting he does these things that if you dug a little bit you probably could find out that he's oh yeah he's bullshitting you but everyone's kind of so charmed like it's that kind of like i think it's it's the next scene coming up is the ultimate interpretation of like why do the yankees always win Mm. it's because it's because of the pinstripes it's like those kind of things where like the, the scene in Miami after this is like the purest representation of that visually in the movie yeah. but you do get it so much in like because he acts the part so much people are less likely to go like I don't think you're correct even if they have an inkling because he acts the part so well they're not yeah. willing to fully commit to it so you know he all the while Hanrat he is like following him like he's he's learned of his address from the letters he sent to Frank Senior and, and he finds the fake medical degree on the wall but like by this point he is down in New Orleans and he, he passes the bar and we get these sort of returns to the present where he's like how did you do it all throughout it is never even a question that he passed it legitimately and then at the end he does claim that but like you know you just assume like, oh he, he did the, you know his latest con and like you see him studying law shows on the tv just like he did with the medical shows and overdoing it with the judge and putting on all these theatrics when there's no defense <laughs> there's no jury <laughs> all of that sort of stuff and you get that really nice scene where you see frank sees brenda's parents dancing in the kitchen and it, it's a call back to his far his parents dancing at christmas time at the beginning that scene that the you know i originally thought this is kind of slow and boring and it's like oh this is why it pays off here and you see him kind of falling in love with this idea of actually living this life like he's living all these fake lives and stuff and i feel this is the part where it's like right i think he really loves brenda i think he actually quite likes this feeling of family because like you see you get like the uncomfortable scene where they're watching this tv show but then like and they're all singing along and he's like huh but then by the end of it he's like joining in and it's like is he like carving himself out this idea of like i could actually just live this life like quietly and happily i mean who wouldn't want to live with Amy Adams? <laughs> well, this is true. She's she's so good, and I think it's the, the scene now when Hanratty like finds out that they've got the engagement party going on and busts in to kind of like break them up and stuff like that, and he he sees him downstairs. Is it from his, his the letters to his father again? Like he finds... no, he finds out he's getting married because he mentions because he's in the hotel oh, yeah. on the phone call on Christmas Eve, yes. and he's like, and he's like, I'm going to get married. Please stop looking for me. I want to settle down. And Hanrat is just like, I'm not going to do that. And you get the <laughs> like, it's the scene where like he sat in the FBI room with the two his two partners on the phone as well, like listening in. Like he's starting to like build up a proper case against him finally, yeah. rather than being sat alone. Tracks him down, goes down to New Orleans, and like barely misses him, like. Frank flees and like tells Brenda to meet him at Miami airport in a couple of days. Uh, we learn by this point he's stolen four million dollars. You get the wonderful scene where like he's talking to him and then he just opens up the briefcase and there's just money that just sort of spurts <laughs> out. And in the middle, in the middle of him kind of like talking to her about like all the things that he's not. Her first, her first response is, "You're not a Lutheran. You're not a Lutheran." <laughs> yeah, which is doesn't mind about the rest. Wonderful lines. Yes. 
I really like that Hanratty notices the missing label from the bottle and he's like oh he's here and like heads upstairs and you get the little floating dollar bill or hundred or whatever it is like a little homage to to, uh, to Forrest Gump I feel Frank goes to the airport and you know he, he works out that it's it's a trap as it were they're, they're not subtle they're not really but I mean well, I, don't, I don't know if it's like heightened observation skills but like there's a guy on the roof like looking out for him there's people <laughs> with guns walking around someone whispers in her ear so you know he and you can see the sort of I feel it does bother him to like leave her there and like you can tell she's upset and, and I feel it it's not like he's like oh well see you bitch like I feel he is sad that he can't just I think it's the movie never focuses on anyone but him really we don't see anyone apart from Hanks when we're not with them we don't see what the mother and father are doing in the time where their son isn't in contact with them we don't see just how much damage he might be causing to these people like we don't get any repercussion to like him stealing $400 off Jennifer Garner or <laughs> or what happens to Elizabeth Hanks jobs after like she reveals that she told all these secrets about like making checks for these kind of things yeah. this kind of like subtle he's fucking up so many people's lives right now but and that's like, not we, we know at the end that he the film version tells us that he settled down and, and has several children and everything in the optimistic version maybe he found Brenda again or maybe like he completely shattered Brenda's heart into many many pieces and... oh he definitely shattered Brenda's heart into many many pieces I'm just saying you know, like maybe there's a version where he found her again or maybe like she went in a completely different direction and you know it's a different woman but he instead poses as a Pan Am recruiter he gathers all these trainee stewardesses allegedly and Amy Acker is one of them I think some of them are, are actresses uh, well they're all actresses. Some of them are like names as well, but I think she's the biggest one there. And it is that one scene with them going through the airport. Yeah, and, and like using them as like a shield to exactly to like just. I think they even call out, "We've got like a hundred men in this airport." He's not getting past, and he just walks right past. It, it's it's the scene where like Tom Hanks is because Tom Hanks is the one who would catch him. Yeah, like, exactly. Hanks... He's out of the room conveniently when all that's happening. It's like yeah, he would have fucking caught him. He comes through and he gets the phone call saying like, "There's someone in the car," and like yeah. if they're wasn't the person in the car exactly he like he would have clocked him and got him and exactly and yeah he you know the taxi driver who's posing as the pilot has a sign that says Hanratty and you see the plane taking off behind them and it's like ah you've done it again and then we move seven months later and Frank has been conning his way across Europe and Hanratty figures out from like the printing experts that like oh you know this press would be in you know the UK or Germany or France and then he's like ah Mont Richard and all that so yeah this is this when the movie starts getting like super quick because like we've had yeah. <laughs> these two like two like long extended pits of him like him being the Pan Am pilot and like his relationship with Brenda are like two chunks even if he's got two jobs in the middle of it and then the end of the movie is just like yeah. we're just gonna rattle through kind of like <laughs> so much content yeah he like tracks him down to his mother's village and and like finds his like abandoned printing press place and there are just checks fucking everywhere he's sort of ecstatic to see Carl and he's become very manic and and Hanratty essentially has to con him back and he's like oh there's people waiting outside who will kill you and I swear on my daughter and I would never lie to you and does eventually talk him down and it's this thing you know there's no guns and there's no like real threats and he does just talk to him as a person and convinces him to come quietly and like the real Frank is the arresting officer and the, the French police like cart him off when like Hanratty was hoping to just quietly and with dignity take him away and everything. So and it, I, I'm intrigued why would the French police be so intent on getting this guy 
because it's not like it's it's a, well, it's a blemish. Doing his like, cons in France and, and across Europe, like he's a sure, wanted it's, criminal. It's not, like, and... it's not like it's a blemish on French culture though. They seem quite aggressive about getting yeah. this guy. I don't know. Maybe he ripped off the government or the <laughs> posed as a policeman or I don't I mean, know. He, I guess he did. I guess he did fake. Like they say, like these are like real checks. These aren't fakes he has yeah. made a real check that doesn't go to a bank account and is just having them bounce every single time you do this it's very important to carl that they know that he wanted to come quietly and then he's like wanting to get him away from them and it's like it, it turns so quickly and it's like you know he's been hunting him all this time but now he's got him he's like become sympathetic towards him and everything and you know we shift back to the present and then the the plane and he learns that his father is dead and he's broken by it and he, he escapes the plane like fucking goes through the bathroom and like comes down the wheel as they're landing and runs off and it's like jesus fucking christ guys and like you get this beautiful scene where like you know he goes to his mother's house and he sees for his with his own eyes that she is remarried and he has a half sister and just breaks him and he goes willingly with Hanratty and and sentenced to 12 years in solitary confinement which is pretty insane and despite being a minor and everything and Hanratty is the one that visits him in prison and like he just in passing mentions one of his current cases and and Frank is able to like help him and he they get him out and he gets a desk job with the FBI when, you know, is it worse than prison? Who knows? But he essentially comes out after four years of his 12 and he ends up working for the FBI, like, trying to catch people like him. And it's this, like you say, it like it moves really fast because we've gone through all this emotional stuff and then, like, in what you know is the final sort of 10 minutes of the movie, you get this huge, like, existential crisis almost where it's like, you know, he's living a quiet but sort of sad life and then he sees the pilot uniform and he's like, he gets the itch and he goes to do it again and, and Hanrat he has to like follow him to the airport and be like I know you're going to come back because no one's chasing you and, and it's like it's a really weird way to end a movie because it's sort of it's settled down and then it gets into this lull and then it gets really like I don't know it, it's it's a strange it's a nice ending with like Frank coming back after his little weekend as a pilot and everything and the little this is what he did next stuff but it's a it, it is a somewhat strange ending to this movie if, if a nice one I think what I really like is you kind of get these three very different things for DiCaprio to play because mm. all throughout the movie anytime he's talked to his dad it's always been this insistence that like oh just talk to mum take her somewhere we'll go to Hawaii and all these different things like he's completely oblivious to the fact that like they are divorced like yeah. the, their relationship is over and yeah. it doesn't and he's it, just he been takes... pounding up against this wall time and time again and they're not really <laughs> yeah and he takes this like one two punch of his dad died by falling down the steps at Grand Central Station mm-hmm. and literally seeing his mother with the person who she was having an affair with and the half-sister that he never knew existed mm-hmm. to, like, kind of break him. But then we also get, like... So he's, like, emotionally stunted or dumb in some in, in that respect to yeah. his relationship to women. But then we immediately follow that up with, oh, he can tell a check just by, like, feeling it and how yeah. intelligent he is there. And then finally we get this, like, almost addict level of, like... Just one more time. Just let me wear the uniform, man. Yeah, like, <laughs> he, he's, not, he's not even doing it because he wants to go anywhere. Or he's not being chased or anything like that. He just... 
It's just all he knew. Yeah. He just all he knew, and it's what he wants to do, and he can't deal with. And I guess on another level, like when he was doing that, he didn't know all of this stuff. Like his father was alive, and he had hope he could get them back together. And it's like you know, now he isn't that. Everything sucks, and it's like maybe if I'm a pilot again, everything will be good again. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's kind of like he's looking for that one last high in some ways, and it takes being talked to like an adult because that's the other. That's the other thing is like so much of the movie is it feels like no one talks to him on a level of like actual like equality yeah. everyone's kind of like going like in awe of him because he's a pilot and a doctor and all these other things and it takes Hanratty just turn to him and go like I'm not going to chase you like you're you're my equal in this respect or even just the fact like the two moments that Hanratty gets him to kind of like come with him are the two moments of sincerity from Hanratty yeah. and obviously like the second one is kind of or the first one's revealed to be inflected because he goes like, I've got a four year old daughter my wife's divorced she's, she lives with her mm. and then the second one is the one where he goes like she's not four she's 15 i've been away for 11 years i'm i'm living a lie just yeah. as much as you are yeah the two of them across the desk from each other like the only two people who are like excited about uncovering the these fraudulent things while people are like walking away and like disinterested like maybe it's a bit overly romantic but i mean the film is quite romantic but like you know him finding this renewed purpose in like working with this man who respects him and doing good work and like you know you see from the end credit thing that like he catches however many yeah. people and like, it, 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 I, li- I like this is the first movie we get with the whole like here's what they did after the movie <laughs> so yeah that's that's your movie and like I couldn't help while re-watching this because it's been a few years but like think about another film where Leonardo DiCaprio plays a con man The Wolf of Wall Street which obviously is not this decade but I think about how much I hate that movie for being so kind of I would say like morally reprehensible and I can't help but just compare it and like how much more enthusiastic I am about this because Wolf of Wall Street obviously very well directed shot whatever whatever but fundamentally the story of Jordan Beckford is not one of like pity this man it's like how cool is this fucking dude and like there's no sense of remorse there's no like he did it to impress like his father or to win you know fix his parents marriage and like you know it was so much more recently after Jordan had done it and like Jordan I don't know like Jordan like still owed a bunch of money back to the people and that's the other thing Jordan Beckford defrauded innocent real people and Frank Abagnale like you know they're both criminals but Frank Abagnale like you can get into like if a victimless crime is is better or worse or whatever but like he like was defrauding big companies and I don't think that you know we talked about how he'd like wrecked some people's lives like Brenda's life potentially sure but like I don't know I just feel there's such such a different Brenda was not left penniless in death exactly and like the things that Jordan did and the film basically asks you to side with him and like what they do here with Hanratty versus you think about Carl Chandler's character in Wolf of Wall Street where like I'm not saying they ask you to dislike him but they don't really give him much to do to make you like him like he has very few scenes Tom Hanks is always Tom Hanks and he's always likeable even when he's playing this kind of like vaguely prickly guy because at yeah. the end of the day he's kind of compassionate towards but they, they build that exactly they build that human connection and like he is the one that breaks through to him by like giving him that act of kindness and just I look at the two and it's like one is basically celebrating a criminal and the other is like I'm not saying it's like hey we should pity this Frank Abagnale but it's like it's like a human it's framing it through that human lens and like that kind of what it is to be a man and like you know all the, all this sort of stuff 
stuff and I, I just think this is so much nicer and better and not so morally like grey and my response to that is but what about that scene where he does quaaludes though and can't walk ah. that is a wonderful bit of physical comedy but I know I agree sure, that this, this movie but... is this movie is so much like it glamorises it for a little bit but yeah. like at the end of the day like you still do get that little bit at the end where he goes like and he made the checks that we now use nowadays that exactly be... and like you know he still did, he did the good. things he did but he did four years in prison and then he worked for the FBI for like decades or well we don't know he worked for various people for a long time and did a lot of good while he is a convicted felon or what oh I don't know a convicted criminal like he did do something to like make good and I don't know if his karmic sort of debt if this is the good place does he get there I don't know the thing I find most funny is presumably like when he got charged mm. he probably got more time for the amount of money he stole than for impersonating a doctor. <laughs> yeah, true. Which is kind of vaguely terrifying. Well, like, is that sort of stuff, is that as pub... Well, I mean, Hank saw the medical degree on the wall. I was going to say, does anyone even know he did this? But yeah, clearly they do. And like, yeah, that was the scary one, that he was posing as someone who could potentially be in charge of lives. Like, yeah. yeah. But I just, I, I look at this and it's like, what a, what a lovely film, what a stylish film. Like, the fucking music is incredible. Oh yeah, like, this is, this is like one of John Williams' best, like, non- franchise scores for some reason like and I, I, I know it's because this movie came out at Christmas but this is the movie that is always on British television around Christmas time and it's one that I will always end up watching and I'll never watch it from the beginning I'll be like I'll come in <laughs> like an hour in and it will always uh, be like doing sexy uh, cons <laughs> doing the sexy con stuff and I'm just like I'm happy to watch this yeah. I'm it, it's not probably like it's probably like of that stretch of like Saving Private Ryan through to this movie really it's probably it probably is the weakest of like those four movies that Spielberg did yeah. but that stretch four movies is so damn good and even after that like Munich is really good it's so charming effortlessly um, that you can just dip it It, it's a movie that's like comfort food like I can just dip in and watch it from basically any point and be happy that I'm watching it even though there is that kind of like melancholy undercurrent sure I think it is I think one of its fundamental traits is that I I think it is romantic it is romanticised it has romantic notions I mean there is the tragedy to it as well of course like these two men while they may have like found a kinship in each other they are still you know estranged from their families and like all of that sort of stuff so uh, yeah it sort of manages to do both like it, it is both a funny stylish good time caper and also like a, a sort of tragic look at like well, not the human condition but you know like a character driven thing that is sad and poignant and yeah it has it both ways and it's fundamentally just I think it's very nice <laughs> that's why I would have pushed for this over as dope as Minority Report is and maybe I'll re-watch AI one day and be like, oh, you know what, I was stupid ten years ago. I mean, AI is that weird one because it's like, it's it's Spielberg plus Kubrick and it's like two two great tastes on their own that like, do they mix well together? And it's definitely not one to like, because obviously like, I remember when I was coming up into like knowing about film, because obviously this is coming out like in 2002, so I'm ten years old at this point. <sighs> we were doing... <laughs> So we were doing a project at school, which was make a film poster for this thing. And it was like, name a director. And I'm just sat there going, like, I don't know who directors are. And the the one example that the teacher comes up with is, is Steven Spielberg, because he is that mm. idea of what the director is. He is the most famous director ever really and it's weird to think that at the point where I was having that conversation with my teacher like he he was doing this kind of like just whatever the fuck he wanted to do movies Mm -hmm. like I will do 
my like realistic war movie and then I'll follow up with a tribute to another one of the greatest American filmmakers and then I'll follow that up with a movie where Tom Cruise can see future crimes and then <laughs> and then we get this one and then yeah. the terminal and Munich and it's just this like string of just like he gets to do whatever he wants to do and, yeah. and I'm glad I mean, he did a, this <laughs> yeah no this, this movie is like I said so at the fun. beginning this was very nearly directed by a whole bunch of different people and Spielberg was just going to produce it via DreamWorks and everything and I'm I'm glad he stepped in and I'm glad he put Tom Hanks in this thing and I'm glad he put Amy Adams in it because the end product is it's just so nice and like full of great performances and it's stylish like we said but yeah I, I think there's much more that needs to be said here uh, this has been another episode of There Will Be Movies go to entertherealworld.com go to soundcloud.com slash Mike and Matt next week I believe we are doing adaptation are we not Ben? We are doing adaptation well then I look forward to doing that with you but before I let you go can you confirm um, if there will be movies. I can confirm there will be at least one more movie. At least one more movie. See you next time, everybody.